welcome to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing and we have a very special guest. I met him a few months ago on LinkedIn. He is the VP of Sales at Trainio. He's founder of Community. He talks about leadership, talks about sales development, prospecting tips and what something that I love that he loves as well, cold calling. Tom Slocum, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am very, very excited. We have crossed paths for I don't even know how long. Um, and so I am very excited to be joining you all here today. Thank you. We are super excited. And I also want to mention that you were recently named top 50 sales leader from Demand Base. Um, so it's great. We've been connected on, on LinkedIn for a while now. Love your posts. We're going to go right into it and we're going to talk about cold calling. Um, oh I did a mock call. So we met at a 10-bound conference and you were on a panel talking about cold calling. I was talking about multi-channel prospecting. And you hate the permission-based opener. Tell us why. Oh, yeah. Sorry, can, can you also very... just explain for some people who may not know what that is? Because I know for yes. some and a lot yes. of marketers. It's a very unknown thing. Yeah. So a permission-based opener is when you are cold calling someone, right? You've never spoken to this person. Maybe you have a warm intro. You're trying to pursue them for a business you know, need. But when you call and they answer, you say something along the lines of, you know, do you have a minute? Uh, you know, do you want to take 27 seconds and roll the dice? Yes, this is a cold call. But you're basically asking for permission to proceed just from the first 30 seconds of connecting with somebody, right? You're trying to be respectful. You're saying, hey, do you have a minute? Did I catch you at a bad time? You know, can I tell you the reason for my call? Those type of things, and you're getting permission to proceed. The reason I don't like that, and the reason that I'm against that is because in a day and age that we live in, you know, when you cold call somebody or they pick up the phone, it is a choice. They already have the right to either answer that phone or not. So why, if they pick up that phone, would I spend the only 30, like, let's be real, in sales and cold calling somebody, even as buyers ourselves, that first 30 seconds is crucial because people are categorizing, they're trying to connect the dots, they're trying to see if they're going to take this call. Yeah. And so why would I ask that permission? You've already answered. So I'm not going to waste any more time by like trying to say, hey, do you have a minute? They probably do have a minute. They picked up the phone. I've never picked up the phone if I didn't have a minute. You know, my favorite, my favorite excuse, and Charlotte, you'll love this one, is, oh, I'm in a meeting right now. I'm in a meeting. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because if I picked up the phone in the middle of a meeting, I would be fired tomorrow. Nobody does that. If you're in a meeting, you're not picking up your phone. You're not saying, oh, I thought you were a client. It, it's silly, right? Um, so for me, permission-based is just a waste of time. I, but <laughs> I think it's very respectful. I think it is very good to, you know, I get it. Um, it's just not my, uh, aligned with me, right? I'm very direct. So my opener is, hey, Charlotte, it's Tom over at Trainio. I'll be brief. The reason for my call was I saw your comment, your post. I seen what your company was doing, um, you know, this and that, and really show them that, like, I have, I'm, in, I'm calling with intent. I have an actual purpose on why I called you. This is why. And then I end on an open-ended question. Yeah. Tom, you know, Charlotte, it's Tom at Trainio. The reason for my call is I saw your post around hiring for SDRs. I, you know, when I talk to other hiring managers, you know, it ends up being one of three things when they're going through the search. They're struggling here, here, or here. Out of curiosity, what, what's been the biggest challenge for you when recruiting for SDRs? And then I shut up. That's my opener. That's it. And then in that third, next two minutes, now I'm getting my data together. I'm looking at my CRM, and they're now sharing with me 
where they're at in the process, right? So I can catch up to them. And what we talked about offline about permission-based openers, and I do want to drop this nugget, when in my research about permission-based openers, one thing I learned was that women thrive in permission-based openers, right? We talked about this. It may not be in the UK market, but in the US, men are very dominant in the sales world. And so from the women I've talked to, they thrive with a permission-based opener because they call up and they're able to say, hey, it's Charlotte, you know, uh, do you have a moment? Did I catch you at a bad time? And men eat it up, right? Or the people eat it up and are a lot more receptive to it. But from a male side, if I call and do that, I get shut down immediately because male to male, they want somebody direct and coming right to it versus like trying to be passive or soft of, hey, do you have a minute? You know, sorry to interrupt. Do you want to roll the dice? They all immediately write us off. But if a woman does it, it's a lot more passive. It's a lot more, I guess, submissive. I don't know. But it just has a different hit for them than it does uh, for the male side. So that was interesting to me. I kind of don't agree with it. I think it's really misogynist. I think it's stupid. But women have told me they thrive with permission-based openers. Uh, but that is my take on it. I just think it's silly. I think you've already got them on the phone. You don't need to do the song and dance. Just get right to it because they're trying to figure out in that 30 seconds if they want to continue the call. And my last point is you're already setting yourself up for a no, right? I learned in sales, the best thing you can do is get people to say yes a lot, right? If you can get people in the motion of saying, like ask a lot of questions that lead to a yes, because then when you go for that close, it's kind of like, you know, if I ask you to say orange five times, right? And then I ask you a question, you're going to be like orange, <laughs> right? And then it's silly, um, but it gets them in that motion. And so if you ask, you know, did I catch you at a bad time? Of course, they're going to say yes. You know, yeah. they're going to say, you know, you caught me. I don't know. There's just a lot to it, um, a lot of nuances, but uh, it's not my jam. I'm not a yeah. fan. Uh, I've actually have been using it a lot, and especially when I speak to U.S. prospects purely because, and we mentioned this again offline, that I think that the way that people in the U.S. value their time is slightly different to how people would value it in Europe. Like, I think in Europe, sometimes people don't mind being interrupted by a cold call, but again, they'd want you to get right to the point. So, hey, this is Charlotte from Investment Monitor. The reason for my call is, uh, and I find that that works really well. I, I like your points, though, that you're setting yourself up for a no with the permission-based opener. It, it was a pattern interrupt, wasn't it, when it first came out? But again, it's almost yes. like saying, is this a bad time to call you? It's it's another way of saying it, but it essentially it means the same thing as, is this a bad time to call you? And the default response is going to be, yes, it is a bad time. You, can't, you caught me at a bad time. Yeah, there's a lot. There, the cold opener is such a challenge, right? It's the most important part of a call. It's almost like the subject line in email, right? I think people are, are silly when they say that the subject line doesn't matter in email. It's yeah. literally the first thing they see. That's your ticket in, right? If they don't like the subject line, they're not even going to open the email to see the beautiful content that you've presented, right? So it's the same with, with cold calling. You have really got to come clutch with that opener and that first 30 seconds that you have uh, because it'll dictate the whole rest of the call. So if you're coming into it timid, uh, nervous, you know, you can't I, – I hate to say it. I will. I have a very hard time when people cold call me and they can't get through it, right? It, it's, it's rough. You hear them, you hear their voice being shaky, um, and, and they might have all the great things to say, but they're just struggling, and it's like a, it's like a turnoff, right? It's like, I got to go. I can't, I can't get through this. But it's also because I've been in sales for 16 years, and it's like being a server at a restaurant. Once you've done it, you kind of like, 
tell servers how to do their job every time you're at a restaurant. You're like, oh, I would have done it this way. <laughs> so you yeah. start to, you know, I've seen everything under the sun. Um, but that opener is so vital. Um, and, you know, it, it, everybody eats to their own. What I love about sales is there's no one size fits all, right? We could talk and me and you could have very different views and have built very successful careers doing the complete opposite. Um, what I tell people is you just got to find your rhythm, your voice, what works for you, what makes you feel the most comfortable, because that's what's going to sell is a very confident and comfortable salesperson. That's what makes a sale, not it, what you said or what you presented. It's how you say it, how you walk into the room yeah. um, and, and demand that attention. Right. And so that opener is crucial um, to get that kicked off the right way and to buy you that five to 10 minutes with that person. So you could potentially, you know, land that meeting or just share the value of what you want to share with them um, and get their attention. Yeah. I've been in sales, similar sort of timing to you. And when I started out, I was making like 80 to a hundred dials a day. So pure telesales yeah. role. And I remember, you know, the, the inflection of my voice was high. Um, I sounded nervous. I needed to hit my metrics and it was just, you know, even years and years later, there's still a lot that you can learn. But ultimately, like, as you say, you have to bring yourself, your personality to the call. And so when you started out, because obviously you said you've been in sales for 16 years, what do you wish yeah. that you knew hmm. back then about sales? And also because, you know, we talk about marketing on this podcast and we're seeing that with personal branding that sellers have to, you know, personal branding is sort of the new form of marketing and sellers have to be really good at that. And we had a chat as well about that before we started recording. But what do you wish that you knew when you started out? Oh, I got a couple uh, that I always reflect on. The biggest one that I wish I had learned was that sales is more listening than talking. Yes. I always thought you had to be, you know, I was used to the car sales, the 90s boiler room, the Wolf on Wall Street, like you were just cutthroat, right? Like it was sales and you got to go get your money. Um, and you had to be the one talking all the time. And that's how you made deals happen. And over my career, I have learned like that is the worst advice ever. Um, shut your mouth, be quiet, like let the prospect. 80-20 was a big savior in my life, the 80-20 rule, which is 80% listening, 20% talking. And that really changed it for me, right, is when I learned to – ask open-ended questions. I was really big on closed-ended questions. Does this make sense? Do you see this working for you? Things that wouldn't really get people talking, right? And then I really learned that it was a lot more of letting them speak, letting them play with the product, learn things, and for me to just navigate that 20% to lead them where I wanted to go. So listening, uh, sales is listening, not talking. That was my biggest lesson. The other one was the importance of the pause learning how to shut up. Uh, one of my managers had to put a post-it on my desk um, or mute my phone. He'd just walk up and mute my phone um, in the <laughs> middle of like a convo and be like, dude, shush. You're, you're <laughs> just, it's okay to sit in the silence. You know, he's like, you are just rambling right now. You have been going for like 15 minutes. Shh. And so I had like a shut up post-it on my desk. Um, and I really learned that the pause and the power of the silence in the sales call is like, like the money maker. If you can truly just sh listen and truly be quiet, you can, you know, make a lot. But in sales, it's hard, right? You're fighting, you're, you're stressed, you're talking too much, you're trying to jump in, you're cutting off the prospect. So those two lessons of listening and the pause um, were, were super crucial in the first like three, four years of my career. And then the last one is, yeah, I wish I joined the personal brand train like 10 years ago. 
Um, I was on LinkedIn back when LinkedIn was just for job search, right? It wasn't what it was. It wasn't content creation. It wasn't people posting. Um, it was purely just to, to, to do your resume and land at a job. And I didn't get into branding. I wasn't on the train for Instagram, right? I didn't know all of that. You got Charlotte over here with 40,000 Instagram followers, right? I've got a thousand. <laughs> um, but knowing the importance of, of being vocal and out there in public and creating content to solidify your expertise, solidify your credentials and be amplified at such a high scale um, on these platforms. So my three takeaways right from back then was just learning to listen, pause and and get on the train of building a brand uh, because it'll amplify you 10x what you're doing on a scale of one to one through cold calling or emailing. Yeah, it has been such a change. So many people we speak to like the importance, your, your whole life in sales, but the importance of social selling, building your personal brand. And and we talked about before, you know, you're you're going to start doing more video and you're almost production yeah. as well in, in that sense. So on, on the flip side, how do you find the changing relationship and how do you develop the relationship with your marketing team? Because that's probably a lot of what they would seem to have been done previously. I think we're at a day and age where the sales and marketing, I guess the cool buzzword, the synergy is so important nowadays, right? Um, sales and marketing are working hand in hand for the first time in years to where they're understanding how to be a force together. You've got the, you know, it's the difference between lead gen and demand gen, right? You've got demand gen, which is your marketing. They are going out and creating brand awareness, right? They're marketing, they're getting out to where people at least are aware of your brand. You know, like Charlotte having a marketing team would just get you familiar with who Charlotte is, and then you've got the back end of her team, which is the sales reps now going out and taking that awareness and converting it into leads, right? Yeah. They're now going out and reaching out to folks and saying, hey, and they're like, yes, I've seen Charlotte everywhere. I'd love to talk or yes, I'm familiar. And they're converting them to, you know, your lead funnel. Um, and so over my last, you know, five years or so building out sales development teams, we were really synced in with marketing. The best marketing material, and I will tell you if you want to win in marketing, is storytelling. Storytelling is taking the world by storm right now. If you have a skill to take a very small story and maybe turn it a little fiction or stretch it a little bit, but tell this really great story, you can capitalize, right, um, in a big way. People will eat it up um, if you can storytell very well. But I think it's so important that sales and marketing are aligned. They are creating content together. Marketing should be talking to the sales folks. You know, a lot of times marketing doesn't yeah. know how to talk to their audience. They're using buzzwords. They're creating this way crazy yeah. stuff to where you're like, you guys, just be just be human, right? It doesn't have to be all of this. But then at the same time, you got sales reps writing big, long-worded emails. I swear to God, if I get one more novel email, I'm going to throw my computer out the window, right? You <laughs> open it up and it's like eight paragraphs and you're like, <gasps> like, come on. Like the bite-sized emails are winning. The short form text is winning. Um, and there's a lot that both departments can learn from each other. And I think they need to be communicating. I used to set up bi-weekly calls for my sales development team and my marketing team to get together. Right. And we would talk about content calendar. We would talk about what they're doing and where we can mess, uh, mesh our messaging. Yeah. Yeah. I like to have my weekly meeting with the marketing team and we're always well aligned in uh, what we're, I know what they're doing, they know what I'm doing. I actually now also like to help them write copy. But 
I've only learned go. this from my own personal branding. So my own journey in creating my personal brand and marketing myself has been a massive lesson. And you touched on it before, Tom. You know, I started Instagram in, back in 2017. Uh, and, you know, at first it was it was weird. It was odd. And I worked fully remote. So we had obviously COVID. Everybody started working remotely and it became the norm. Well, this hybrid model, I started working remotely in 2011. So it was, you know, my whole sort of persona on social media, me as me, came from that. It came from not being able to be in an office and be around people and to think, well, I need to get out there. I need to reach people. I want to meet people. I know so many people on Instagram. I've met a few of them, but I, I know them and I have conversations with them. And, yes. I, and we've we've been in each other's community for years. And now the same thing is happening on LinkedIn. And I will say LinkedIn is a is a fantastic platform. I'm on everyone apart from YouTube. Um, yeah. But for it, now. Yeah, for now. Um, <laughs> for now. That's the next one. Um, just join yes. TikTok. But from my experience, you know, LinkedIn is where you can have real conversations. You don't just talk yes. about work. You talk about what you've learned, the journey, you know, if you had a bad day at work, I had a bad cold call um, last week, or there were several that, you know, all my meetings canceled on the same day. (laughs) So I've decided to create a post about that and say, oh, and you get that support from that online community, which, you know, I can't get that because I'm fully remote and I'm on my own in my office at home every day. That's where it's blown up, right? I think COVID fast paced, you know, this world of community, you know, before COVID, community was probably a good decade out from being a thing, right? Because people were in office, everybody was good, we were thriving, we were out in the streets of our everyday life, and then the whole world shut down for a good, you know, year um, to where community just be fast-forwarded and accelerated to where now it has allowed us to, uh, you know, pull together and talk to one another. I mean, me and you, Charlotte, right? I'm in Arizona and you were, yeah. you know, the world-renowned traveler. I don't know even know where you are today. <laughs> it's like, where's Carmen? Where's Charlotte today? But I could talk with you anywhere, right? Anywhere in the world. And we, you know, to your audience, me and Charlotte have never met in person, but we are like best friends. We are on Instagram together. We are on Twitter together. We are on LinkedIn together. And it's crazy because you're able to connect with the masses at such a high level. And people are really thirsty for finding their tribe. I told you, I started my personal brand journey two years ago on LinkedIn, and I was cool in Arizona. People knew me. I was well-known. I worked at brands like Yelp and GoDaddy, and I was pretty established here in Arizona. I could get a job. People knew who I was. But when I joined LinkedIn and started posting and sharing about my background and my life and what I was working on, now I've reached the masses at such a high level and built that credibility and, and seeing people in Australia and the UK and across the East Coast into, you know, Florida and New York. And now the world of opportunities are are there, right, to where now you're reaching such a high level. And it is. It, LinkedIn is truly authentic and real and people yeah. are sharing and learning. Instagram, and you may hate me for saying this, Charlotte, but somebody told me the reason I don't dig into Instagram as much is because I'm not egotistical. Um, and it, you have to be egotistical to be on Instagram because it's like, all about yourself, right? You're broadcasting, yeah. you're bragging, you're sharing, you're able to be on video, you're able to be on uh, you know, camera, you're taking photos. And that's just not me, right? I don't take, if people were baffled at my faster trip last week, because I was like the selfie king of Saster, but in my everyday life, I don't do that. 
I'm yeah. not posting a picture on Instagram of what I ate for lunch. Like, I just don't do that, right? I'm like, that's not me. But people that have those egos or like able to like put themselves out there like that, they thrive on those platforms. Um, so it can be a challenge, but on LinkedIn, you don't have to brag. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you've, really, you've really summed that up very well. And I think what worries me with things like Instagram is the younger generation who are on it don't know the difference between, you know, the, the dopamine hit that, that everybody gets when they post on social media, whether they want to admit it or not. But so many young people are sort of thriving on that. And they, you know, narcissism, Instagram has been blamed for a lot of you know people who are narcissistic post on Instagram or, you know, they post photos of themselves, as you're saying, is tagged to ego. It's like being able to know the difference and the message that you're putting out there as well, but also making sure that you're not relying. So a platform like Instagram, you have to be really careful and really know yourself and know what you're doing. Um, you open because, yourself up to a crazy world. You do. You do. I was talking with uh, Leslie Vanette about, and you've probably seen this, is LinkedIn, you don't get a lot of trolls, right? It's very rare that you'll get anybody, you know, it's a very a yes person community. Everybody's going to support you. You'll find your tribe. But Leslie Vanette's recently, when I was at Sasser, was telling me that on TikTok and the other platforms, it is so dangerous because you are out to the masses. Yeah. Right, LinkedIn, we're talking to a very niche group, right? Very niche group. You're talking to other sales folks, other people in your world that get it. And, you know, versus like going to dinner with your group of friends offline, you try to tell them any of your terms of what you do for a living. And they're like, I don't understand. So when you go to the masses on like TikTok, Leslie was actually getting a ton of hate and comments and really inappropriate things to where she had to actually go dark for like five months. Because it was so bad. She had content going out, but she wasn't like active because she was getting some serious threats and comments and things because you're opening yourself wow. to an array wow. of audience. Yeah. Some, some people, yeah. I think, look for it. I mean, you could put the most inoffensive thing out and, you know, you, you could still get something negative. And ultimately, I think oh, yeah. they're probably just quite unhappy in that. And that's how, you know, they take it out externally. It is. You know, um, you can't take it personal. Uh, that's even in sales. What a great lesson, right? The other thing that I would go back to when you asked me what I learned early on in my career is straight up detaching from the outcome, yeah. right? Don't worry about it. Uh, just stay you, uh, master your craft, keep putting in the practice, keep putting in the reps. You know, half of these sports players like didn't do what they do today in the NBA or in sports, right? It took them time, practice, reps. Um, two years ago when I started creating, my content was trash, Right. I'm surprised people came out for me and supported me. And now two years later, right, I can somewhat create a nice piece of content still. Um, but you're learning. Right. But you have to detach from the outcome in personal branding and in generating sales. Don't worry about those things. Right. Just have great conversations, put out great content and find the people that will love it. Right. Um, and, and, and also realize like that everybody's going through that. I think way too many times we find ourselves in our own small little world and we get very, uh, I guess, maybe egotistical or self-centered or just like, you know, we think about what everybody else is thinking about. And at the end of the day, everybody else is doing what you're doing. So when you could strip from that and realize everybody else is thinking the same thing you are thinking or we're all dealing with those same inner battles every day, you kind of detach from that stuff, right? Yeah. And, and being at Faster last week and being able to meet these creators and talk to them for a full week in person 
that is the one thing I learned is that we are all just trying to figure it out. Everybody's just putting themselves out there and being vulnerable and opening themselves up for the greater good. But, you know, you're going to take heat for that. And the reason why is because we are the 1%, right? We are the 1% that are creators in this world where 99% of people are just, you know, absorbing content or taking it, but they're not creating. And one of my favorite quotes is, uh, don't tell me how to tie my shoes if you've never worn my shoes. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Love a it. lot of haters and commenters are people that aren't doing what we're doing. Right. So it's easy on the outside in looking into, you know, shit on Charlotte's post to be like, that was trash or, oh my gosh, why would you put this out there? Well, then you go do it and let me know. Right. Let me come critique you then. And then they're like, oh, no, no, no. I don't do that stuff. No, gosh, no. I'm not going to put myself out there. Well, then shut up. Don't come tell me that my stuff sucks or you don't know what I'm doing if, if you don't do it yourself. Right. Yeah. Now, with me and Charlotte had a conversation, and Charlotte came up to me and, and messaged me on LinkedIn and said, Tom, that post you put out today wasn't that great, right? Maybe I would have done this or this. Well, now I can, I, I can take that feedback because I know that Charlotte is a creator herself. She's in my world. And if she said that, then there's a little bit of weight to that. But some hater in my comments telling me, oh, well, this or that, dude, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to detach from that because if I go to your LinkedIn or your profiles and you're just a lurker, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Don't tell me your opinion. Like I'm okay. Yeah. I'm not, I I'm good. Yeah. Um, and that's what you have to realize is half the people that are doing that stuff are, are not in our world and, and would never join that world. And so you just gotta, you know, brush, you know, like Taylor Swift says, shake it off. Shake, shake it, it off. off. Perfect. It's been a great episode for, we for being along. Yeah, yeah we, we're talking. We, we were, we oh, were we speaking at 30 minutes before, even before we started recording. <laughs> we were. We ask one thing for every guest that comes on. Do you have a practical tip for the audience, the listeners to be able to take away? Gosh, a practical tip. Uh, so I'm very big on like mindset. I think the number one thing in sales is getting your head right before anything else, right? Because there's so many nuances. There's so many tips and tricks to do anything. But my one practical tip is you've got to get your mind right. Uh, when you attack sales or you create your brand, you have to just mentally be prepared for what you're going to get into. Um, and so I think, you know, self-reflection, taking notes, writing down your thoughts um, really changed my life about two years ago to kind of understand that. Um, to write out your frustrations. And I think one of my biggest practical tips is be uncomfortable or be be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's my biggest practical tip I can give is, is embrace failure, fail hard, fail fast, build in public, uh, which is the best things you can do and be okay to fail because there is no such thing as failure unless it's your own, you're deeming that, right? Who else is to tell you you failed or succeeded but yourself? Um, so at the end of the day, just just fall hard um, and learn and be excited to challenge yourself and break the mold of your potential because that's the only way you're ever going to reach that that true greatness in life is just embrace it all. Have fun. Fail. Make mistakes. Go go try something, you know, and, and learn from it. Um, don't be terrified um, would be my, my big takeaway. I love it. It's ex- I'm exactly the same. Get out your comfort zone. Make sure that you do something that you're scared of. It's the only one. At least once a day, right? At At least once a day. day. Exactly. That's what keeps the doctor away. You know, Uh, attack something every day with, you know, that fears you, right? Just go do it. Go see what happens. You'll never know. Everything is impossible until it's possible. Exactly. Anything in the world is impossible. We thought electricity was impossible. We thought everything we see today is impossible. But guess what? We're living in a day and age where it is possible. 
Um, and so it just takes that one person to break that mold, break that fear and, uh, you know, evolve the world together. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. And tell the audience, tell our listeners, keep saying the audience, where they can find you, <laughs> apart from on LinkedIn, Tom Slocum. Uh, yes, uh, that is my big, big channel is LinkedIn, but I am on all the platforms, right? I'm diving into TikTok with you, Charlotte. So I will see you over there in the coming Yay! weeks. Big on Can't Instagram, wait. big on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I am the only platform I am not on is Facebook. I do have a profile, but I dropped that about 10 years ago. Um, and I'm not over there, but you are more than welcome to find me. Just look up Tom Slocum. You will find me. Um, LinkedIn is my bread and butter. Um, but if you hit me on the DMs and Twitter or Instagram, you're more likely to get a meeting with me or something uh, for sure. Uh, but those are where you can find me uh, anytime, anywhere. Fantastic. It's been such a great episode. Yeah, We've definitely you, got to have you back for more when we go on to video. Absolutely. And, yes. uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. We have uh, long awaited for this. So I'm very excited we made it yeah. happen, even though I have no voice from Safter, uh, but we made it happen. <laughs> Thanks, y'all, for listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It.